The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. Now Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to false prophets. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, like I said at the beginning of the service, (coughs) Jesus knows that, you know, when it's all about words and words are involved, it 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 can get lost in your head and the thoughts are spinning and all that. When there isn't a sign maybe a miracle associated or something's not happening in the story, like it's not a narrative, people can kind of drift. And so Jesus does what he always does. It says in the beginning of our gospel, it says that uh, all the things that he says here accompany or follow him um, healing people of their diseases and casting out unclean spirits or demons. And so Jesus, as he always does, will pair his teaching with what he actually does. And of course, that's a theme that we've been, uh, you know, going alongside for the past, what, six or seven weeks of Epiphany, that Jesus reveals that he is God, not only through uh, doing miraculous things, but teaching with authority, preaching with authority, saying he's going to do something, and then it happens. All things only the Son of God can truly do. But today we get uh, what many of you are familiar with. Man, did people like to preach on this in the 60s and the 70s. The Sermon on the Mount, 
or the Beatitudes. But what's unique about Luke, it's not Matthew. Instead of the Sermon on the Mount, we get what is often called the Sermon on the Plain. And why do they call it the Sermon on the Plain? Well, none other than um, because it says in this verse that he came, he came down with them and stood on a level place. Now, you can imagine this in your head. Actually, yeah, he probably was still on a mountain somewhat, and he was probably higher than the other people because he had to talk to them, and they had to focus on him, the teacher, rabbi. But yeah, they had to go to a level place so everyone could sit or stand and listen and not get like blown off a mountain or get rained on or be stuck in the fog. So imagine Jesus in a place that looked kind of like the sound of music where she twirls around. Probably looked like that. A level place down the mountain. Anyways, Jesus not only gives us beatitudes or blessed are yous, he also gives us woes, woe to yous. And uh, those are things that scare us. But Jesus literally is just giving us bullet points to try and understand something that is eternal, that there are two ways, the way of blessedness and the way of cursedness or wickedness. And each person, each man or woman, can go down either path. Now, um, I think it's most clear, we'll return to the Beatitudes, But it's most clear in Jeremiah. Thus says Yahweh God. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Dot, dot, dot. He's like a a shrub in the desert. You know, the roots don't go down very far. It could get blown away in a dust storm. Uh, The water just ain't feeding it. Um... It's like someone who dwells in uninhabited salt land. So what would you do in the ancient world if you beat a country in a battle? Besides take slaves and uh, kill um, the uh, uh, fighting age males, you would put salt all around their fertile cropland so that they couldn't grow food anymore. And that's what it's like when you trust in man and make flesh your strength. But he says, however, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water and sends out its its roots by the stream. And he isn't afraid when heat comes because his leaves remain green. And he's not anxious when drought comes for he does not cease to bear fruit. And so we have the image of the shrub dying in a desert. And that is the cursed person who trusts in man or their own strength, what they can do, compared to the image of a tree planted by streams of water. Something that is very familiar to you all because it's from Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, 
he prospers. And so, <coughs> well, yes, Jesus does uphold this image of the blessed ones and the wicked ones or the ones that woe is coming to. I want to distance ourselves from, I can do these conditions that Jesus says and I will get those rewards. So, for example, I'm going to be poor, and then that way I'll get the kingdom of God. Or I'm going to starve myself, and then I'll get satisfied like Jesus says. Or I'm going to cry all the time because Jesus says, then I'll laugh. Or put myself into situations on purpose where I might be reviled not because of God. God's word or my trust in Jesus, but just because I want to be a contrarian or to make it onto cable news as a correspondent. That is not what Jesus is trying to say. We all know, right? It is not, um, uh, we are saved by grace through faith. It is uh, not of our own works so that no one can boast. Jesus is not trying to say, do this and you'll get to go to heaven. Or act this way, and if you do, you're in trouble. No, it's about trust. And that's what sets us apart as Christians, is a trust in God's promises. And that trust in God's promises, linked with their historical events giving us salvation. And so we trust Jesus when he says, your sins are forgiven. We trust Jesus when he says, go ye therefore into the world and make disciples of all nations. Behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We trust Jesus. Now, if we didn't trust Jesus, if we didn't trust God's word, put our trust in the Lord, instead we put our trust in man, what would our lives be like? Well, we all know that when you put trust into humanity, usually they let you down. Please, you know, come and come to this meeting at 930 It's very important that you get here at 9.30. And then pastor gets there at 9.50. Or, man, it is contingent. It is contingent that um, you come and do this for me, that you come and repair my house, or else all the heat will, I don't know, dissipate And I'll be paying NICOR like $100 more uh, than I did last month. And then you put your trust in man, in the the company that's going to try and fix your insulation or your windows. And then they weren't a reputable company. And you wasted your money. And you're still 
paying out the wazoo for your heating costs. These are all very silly, albeit easy to understand examples of trusting in man rather than man, or rather than God. But I think you're getting the image that when you put your trust in man and other people, the more they fail you, the more the man, the woman that you trust is just yourself. But we all know what happens when you can only trust yourself. Then you start to let yourself down. And woe to the man, to the woman, that then is unable to trust even themselves. Because then who else can you look to? Now, this is a consistent theme of the last couple weeks. But when you get to that low point, you end up realizing that it isn't yourself that you rely on and trust on. It is the Lord. There are many psalms talking about how, yeah, man falls asleep and might not show up at daybreak when the battle begins. But God, Yahweh, doesn't sleep. He's always there with you. And he won't let you down. Now, Jesus tries to make this high concept, two-way distinction, easy to understand, by being God himself in the flesh, on a mountainside, sitting amongst his people whom he loves, And simply sharing his innermost thoughts, God himself, sharing his innermost thoughts with his people. And it's important that we picture this in our minds, in our hearts. Because Paul, as ironically Paul has read for us today, shows that it is of utmost importance that we think of a historical Jesus doing historical things when we think of the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that is beginning to only have Jesus be an idea in their heads, a talking head, you might say, that gives them advice a talking head that metaphorically or allegorically died for their sins and brought them in, uh, uh, brought them into himself and their baptisms and so on. And so Paul has to remind them with very clear language. Now, I have to remind you, brothers, that original gospel I preached to you by the which the one by which you stand now, the one by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the words that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's always putting little jabs in there like that. He runs the basis. He says, Christ did die for our sins according to the scriptures and the words that he says. 
He says, and then he rose again and he appeared to these people. He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to James. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to 500 people. And he says, you know, and some of those people, they're dead now. But like, you could probably go and find the other ones. And they'd say, yeah, I saw Jesus when he rose. And then he says, last of all, Jesus appeared to me, Paul. I was one who was cursed. I was one who was living as a wicked man. I was persecuting the church of Christ, his body. And yet Jesus chose him. And then he shares an important distinction. He says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? He was hearing about this congregation at Corinth that was saying the Apostles' Creed. And when they said, I look forward to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, they didn't actually believe that they looked forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. They didn't believe that one day, uh, everyone who has faith in Jesus would be raised to eternal life. And that was because they were ceasing to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That it, was only hap- it only happened as an idea in their head that was hopeful or inspirational. And so he had to pound into their heads that story that we just ran the bases on. But then also remind them, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Don't you understand, Paul, the man that was doing, or walking in the way of wickedness or cursedness, the chief reason why was that he was trusting in himself, in man, in what he could do. If he, full, or sorry, if he hit all the points of keeping the law of God, then he would go, <clears throat> then he would go to heaven. And then all of a sudden he has this dramatic shift. He's knocked off a horse. He's baptized. He has faith in Jesus. And all of a sudden he has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden it's not what he does, but he fully trusts and understands now this is what it is to trust in the Lord to believe in and on Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. This is true faith. This is true blessedness. This is blessed is the man who walks in the way of the Lord. There are two ways, cursed or blessed. Do I trust in myself? Do I trust in my job? Do I trust that those sports that myself, that my children, that I've put them in, that that's going to be the security of the college? Is that going to be the security for the rest of their lives? Is this going to create the lasting relationships and community that they need? Or do I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man who died and rose again for me? And this is basically where Jesus, where Paul where Jeremiah, where the psalmist, they look at you and they say, choose wisely, Christian man. Choose wisely, Christian woman. What will you do? 
You've woken up. What do you do today? Do you invite Jesus into your home? Do you forsake building your faith? Do you pick up that Bible? Do you read it? Just one chapter. Do you read that gospel starting with Matthew 1? And then tomorrow with Matthew 2? And then the next day with Matthew 3? And talk about it as a family. Do you share God's word with your spouse, with your family? So that you can... uh, So that you can build up not only your faith, but theirs as well. And Jesus says, I get it, you're busy. Jesus says, you want what is temporary, I understand. You want your consolation now. Jesus says, I feel for you. You want to feel full now. But you'll be hungry later. Jesus says, I understand you want to feel good now. I'm just saying you'll weep later. And um, that one is one that sticks with me. Being a child of the LCMS system, looking at my confirmation picture, looking up those names on Facebook of all my friends, brothers, and sisters, And seeing that they are no longer ones who would make faith an important identity in their lives. Or worshiping the Lord an important task and duty in their life. And I think of all the parents that I talk to through seminary, vicarage, and being a pastor. And yet felt great at the time allowing their children to do whatever to, yeah, I understand you don't want to come or yada, yada. But they find themselves weeping later. Especially when grandchildren come and later grandchildren. And finally, Jesus says, I understand you want people to speak well of you now. But the problem is, with all these things that he says, he says, if you want these things, Jesus says, woe to you. If you want to be hungry now, if you want to be rich now, if you want to feel good now, if you want people to speak well of you now, woe to you. And it's hard to hear from Jesus, but we need to hear it from Jesus because he said it. And if he said it, I believe it. And what does woe to you mean? It means, unfortunately, what it means is, when I looked it up, it means judgment's coming for you. It means you better pray it comes to you in this life so that it will hit you hard and bring you low so you can repent and have a chance to turn to him. Because what's crazy is you can put it off like anyone here heard of St. Augustine? St. Augustine has a famous joke prayer where he says, 
Lord, give me the virtue of chastity, but not yet. It's very funny. He says, I want to repent, but please give me a chance to repent later. But the crazy thing is, and something that, I have, that I'm reminded of with recent deaths of young people, is that you could die at any moment. You could be hit by a bus. You could be struck with disease. And so your chance to repent, to choose not the way of the cursed or wicked life, but the way of life, the way of the Lord, the way of trust in Jesus alone, that is a decision that you do have to make now. Because if you make the decision now, you can begin to build a better life as a better husband, wife, father, mother, grandparent, husband, wife, son, daughter, grandchild. Because if you die in a car wreck on the way home, trusting in man rather than trusting in the Lord, pretending you are a success, you die cursed. And that's scary. There's no promise there. And instead, we trust in the Lord. We meditate, we listen to, we chew on his word day and night. We sit at his feet in a level place on a mountaintop, wherever you want to picture it. But just know that the same Jesus that explicated and explained these difficult topics that day on that mountainside, he really did predict his own death, which was radically different and hard to understand. And then he went and died and he died on the cross for your sins. And what that means is if you believe in him, if you repent, change your ways, believe in him. Then his resurrection, his new life is joined to and given to you. And you can walk in that new life. You can be a different, better person, but only by God's grace through his Holy Spirit. And when you begin to trust in the Lord and Jesus Christ and walk in his ways, the world will begin to hate you, to exclude you, to revile you, to spread rumors about you. And when that day comes, rejoice. Jump for joy. Your reward in heaven is great. Count yourself among brothers and sisters for 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years, all the way back through the prophets. They did it to the prophets. They reviled them. They hated them. They killed them. They did it to Jesus. They reviled them. They spread rumors about them. They killed them. They did it to his disciples. They did it to the saints. They do it to pastors even today, and they'll do it to you. Rejoice. Count yourself among the blessed. Blessed are you, for you will receive the kingdom of heaven. Thanks be to God.